This episode is sponsored by Horizon Capital, an M&A and micro-private equity firm that acquires and grows SaaS companies. Horizon Capital only works with SaaS companies generating between 500K and 5 million in annual recurring revenue, where they help them unlock the true value of their business and scale to the next level. Whether you're ready to move on to your next startup or want to work with the right growth partner, Horizon's team will work with you to find the best structure possible. From M&A strategy to capital investments, SaaS is all they do. Simple as that. If you're a SaaS founder with less than $5 million in annual recurring revenue and are looking to sell your business, visit horizoncapital.com today and get a free valuation. If you'd like to sponsor the SaaS District podcast or recommend any guests that you think would be valuable to be on the show, visit horizoncapital.com slash SaaS podcast today. Thanks again, folks. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how a 26-year-old serial entrepreneur started a SaaS company and then sold it for seven figures at the age of 30. So today we have our guest, Dave Schneider, joining us. Dave was the co-founder of an influencer marketing software called Ninja Outreach, which is a bootstrap company with 20 people and over 500 customers. He's also a graduate from Harvard with a degree in applied math, where in 2012, he quit his corporate job to travel the world with his wife, where during that time, he launched and exited from his first SaaS company, Ninja Outreach. Nowadays, he runs Shortlist.io, which is a digital marketing unagency with a team of 20 people where they offer businesses SEO, conversion rate optimization, A-B testing, content marketing, and strategy while being completely transparent. So welcome, David. Glad to have you on SaaS District Show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Akil. Cool. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about your story of building you know, Ninja Outreach? I think back in 2013, you were 26 at the time. Um, what, what were some of the biggest challenges you faced and what was the process from idea to launch where you really start seeing traction there? Yeah, so uh, going back a number of years, I'm, I'm 33 now, so uh, we're talking like seven or, or so years ago. Um, I had been blogging and traveling uh, with, with my girlfriend and I was looking to start a software business because I really liked the business model. I said, oh, you know, I have a product and monthly recurring revenue and this is what I should be focusing on. Um, and I, you know, I didn't have a lot of different ideas. I only had exposure to kind of online marketing, blogging, content marketing, things like that. So I was kind of looking in that space and looking for some opportunities. Um, and I kind of stumbled upon the fact that there were some tools for outreach, influencer marketing that either did prospecting or did outreach, but didn't really do both. Um, and sort of that idea um, was the basis of Ninja Outreach. And around that time, I actually went on a podcast kind of like this. And I was talking to this guy named Mark, Mark Sams. Um, and he and his friend had been developing a product that was, you know, it had elements of, of that type of a, of a software. Um, it was a, a scraper tool. Uh, it, it had some social metric data. It sort of was the foundations. And he said, well, why don't we work on this together? Because I'm interested in this. You guys are interested in this. And maybe we could kind of uh, build a business off of this. So um, basically, that became the premise. That became the team. It just kind of like fell into place. Uh, I mean, I've probably been thinking about 
starting a software business for one or two months. And I was thinking, should I hire a developer? Should I learn the code? You know, what, what should I do? And then like I met Mark and his friend and the three of us kind of clicked um, and we got started. Um, so, you know, we, we did a lot of research at that time to understand the, the market and the competitor products that were out there. Um, and there were products like Incubee and Buzzstream and many of which are still around today. Um, and like I said, you know, we realized that they were focused mainly on prospecting, but they didn't really do outreach. And what happened was that people would need to um, take their uh, their data from one tool and import it into another in order to do the outreach. And that kind of interrupts the workflow. You know, stuff is lost going from one to the other. There's like compatibility uh, issues. You might lose uh, fields and things like that. Um, and so, you know, we thought that we had uh, an idea that had some legs. Um, and we reached out to a lot of people um, to become part of the beta group and kind of see if they were interested. And we had a, you know, generally what I thought was a positive response. Um, it wasn't like thousands of people. It's like a couple hundred people said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm interested in this tool. Um, this is kind of like what I'm looking for. Um, so keep me updated. Um, and, but, you know, the problem was that they had been sold on the idea of the tool and not what the tool, like the actual state of the tool at the time. And the actual state of the tool at the time was extremely basic because um, we've been building off of this software that uh, Mark and Paul had kind of developed like a couple of years before. It was a desktop application. It was very slow. Um, it only worked for Windows. And so, you know, the vision we were selling them was uh, what they were buying into. But then when they actually used the tool, they, no one really liked it. Um, so when we launched, uh, basically nobody converted. Um, I, one guy, uh, one guy said, Hey, uh, yeah, I'll use this. And it was, he was just like a nice older gentleman who largely took pity on us. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, at that point, we, <laughs> we probably should have just called it a day and said, okay, we just totally botched this. Um, and, uh, you know, time to go our separate ways. But we did get um, some leads signing up organically because we've been doing content marketing um, the whole time and, and writing a lot of articles. And so people, there's traffic coming to the website and one person signed up and they like bought the enterprise plan on, on virtually like day one. Um, and we didn't know who they were and we didn't know anything about them. They weren't part of the beta group, but that really motivated us um, and kind of encouraged us to, to keep going. They were really like our only customer for that month. Um, and so we basically realized, you know, that we had done everything wrong um, and we need to redo everything and we need to build um, a cloud-based SaaS app and we needed to be, you know, to work uh, much faster and be more robust and work for Mac and Windows users and accept not just PayPal, but credit cards and, and all the stuff that we had basically screwed up. Um, and then, you know, we kind of went from there and, and built it over the course of four years. Cool. And what was your dynamic between the three of you as co-founders? Were you like more on uh, like marketing side? Were you technical or how did, how did that dynamic work? So Mark and I were your marketing salespeople. And then Paul was um, a CTO, essentially. Okay. Um, yeah. And he, but he worked with us for like, well, like say six months or so beta. And then maybe like six months or so after we launched. So it'd been maybe a total of a year. But then he 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 had to go. Uh, he, he he. I'm trying to. How do I say this? We weren't making any money, and he had to and he had to get a yeah, job. Sure. You know, basically, sure. it wasn't like we kicked him out or anything. He just said, "Hey, I'm, you know, guys, I 
I, I like working with you, but I'm, I, you know, I can't do that. I can't just not make any more money. We, we weren't making any money to pay ourselves for a while. Mm. Um, so he left and he said he would, um, you know, that he would, he would get a job and that he would contribute um, some money to hire a developer in his place. Um, and so I became kind of like this CTO-esque person to kind of manage the product in his absence. And Mark mm. was more, you know, marketing. Got it. And what would you say were some of the initial costs to get Ninja Offreach off the ground? Um, and, and what marketing channels worked best to generate, let's say, the initial revenue? Um, or was it just you three, kind of your time allocation? So for the costs, um, in the first year, I mean, it was definitely tens of thousands of dollars. Um, okay. It wasn't hundreds of thousands and it wasn't thousands. It was tens of thousands of dollars. And it was okay. bootstrapped. So that all came out of, uh, out of our money. Um, and to be honest, it was, it was, it was largely my money, um, because, uh, the other guys had some financial, uh, constraints and I had done okay with, uh, the travel blog that I had been running beforehand and I had some savings and I was living in like, uh, you know, either I was living with my parents and paying no rent or I was living in like Asia or something, um, and also not paying that much. And so I had the, the extra cash to kind of invest into developers and product and stuff like that. Um, in terms of growth, and the ch sort of channels that, that built uh, the business. Um, you know, I mean, in, in the very, very early days, just kind of getting a, a list of beta users, it was largely through outreach um, mm -hmm. and just kind of saying, hey, we've got this tool, would you check it out? Um, but then that shifted relatively quickly to content marketing SEO. And for the four years or so that we ran it, um, content marketing and SEO was largely kind of the heartbeat of the marketing and, and kind of what, what grew the business. Um, along the way, there were various inflection points. Um, they were, you know, product launches that we did. Uh, we did a launch on Product Hunt. We did an AppSumo launch. Um, those different types of things kind of got us up to the next plateau. Um, right. And eventually, you know, when you cross like a threshold of say like $10,000 a month or so. I mean, this is totally um, subjective, but this is sure. approximately in our case. Um, you just have a lot more to work with. And at that point, you can be thinking about onboarding, you can be thinking about term reduction. And so once we kind of hit that level, it was a lot of just like trying to optimize the business, the product and all those different metrics, and then just continue to pump out like content and SEO. Nice. Um, and then what was, what would you say is your motivation to decide to exit from Ninja Outreach, you know, for seven figures after running it for six years, rather than, you know, continuing to grow it and, and, you know, maybe go for a larger exit or, or keep growing it and, and taking the cash, right? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean, obviously the motivation is money, but, <laughs> but there's a lot more to it than that. Sure. Um, so essentially we had been running the business for four years. Um, and the majority of this time we were not really paying ourselves like really much money at all. I mean, there was probably two years of that four where I, we paid ourselves nothing. And then we started maybe earning like three grand a month or something like that. Um, we were paying ourselves like a, a little salary and that's because we, you know, I mean, the business grew and, and we could have paid ourselves more, but we were always putting it into the team and trying to hire like additional developers and marketers and stuff like that. I'm very kind of like a build a big team type of type of person, uh, maybe to a fault. Uh, we just assumed that you know the business would grow faster the more people we had uh, working on it, and so just kind of all the the spare money kind of went into personnel. Um, and uh, basically, you know, about four years into it, uh, I think a combination of a lot of events uh, came to fruition. Firstly, I think we were like a little burnt out. 
Um, we had been grinding for four years pretty hard. And I just think we probably burnt ourselves out a little bit. That was part of it. Um, another aspect was, you know, looking at the tool and the solution that we had kind of come up with. I genuinely had doubts whether or not like that was the appropriate way to approach influencer marketing. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to just kind of go at that problem. Some people have like marketplaces and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, to the extent that we branded it as an influencer marketing tool, it was very much used for kind of like prospecting and email outreach. Yeah. And that's a little, it's, it's a little bit of a gray area in the sense that it, um, it's, um, it, it sort of relates to spam, basically. Like you're sort of, like people are using the tool to kind of like send out a lot of unsolicited email, uh, uh, emails. I mean, right like bottom line. And so there was sort of this element of it being like a spammy tool that made me uncomfortable with kind of like what it had become and, and maybe where it was going. Um, and it was really difficult to to rein that in because uh, the user base just demanded um, those types of features. You know, they wanted automated outreach. They wanted to, you know, be able to scrape large lists of people and they wanted contact information. They wanted all these things. And there wasn't really a way to deny them that because, if you do, they'll just go elsewhere and they'll get it to somebody who will give it to them. Um, so right. you might as well basically just do it, for lack of a better word. Um, mm. So that kind of made me uncomfortable. Um, GDPR was coming out um, in a couple months and there was absolutely zero way our tool was going to be compliant in GDPR. Just the, na- the very nature of the tool was sort of like not compliant with GDPR. Um, it was unclear how impact that was going to have on the space, but there was definitely a lot of uh, a chatter about it and everyone was like trying to be compliant and there was all these concerns about XYZ lawsuits and stuff. And probably in hindsight, you know, it, I don't think it has played as big of a role as maybe people thought it would, but uh, I haven't heard anyone mention it in like forever. But anyway, I, I know it's, you know, it's, it's, it's out there and stuff's going on. Um, I was looking to kind of traveling days um, and settle into the U S and get, and get an apartment and have a kid pretty much like the vast majority of my net worth was um, in Ninja Reach. And, you know, just doing the math, you could kind of see that the only way you're really going to kind of like net a profit from it is to sell it. Um, And you could argue sell it then or sell it later, but at some point it kind of had to be sold. We just like weren't paying ourselves monthly enough that Mm. you were ever really going to like earn an income from it. Um, I think unless you held on to it for, a really, really long time. And I wasn't really comfortable saying, yes, I'm going to hold this for like 10 to 20 years. I just like, no. Um, so all of that, you know, all of that came together in like a big boiling pot. And then we essentially connected with an interested buyer. He reached out to us um, and, you know, he was direct. Um, there was no uh, market place in between us. There was no commission that had to be paid. He was going to pay it all in cash, like upfront. Um, and, uh, he was going to do a, um, a share sale. So he was mm-hmm. going to buy it as, uh, basically the shares of the company as opposed to right. an asset, which has tax implications because now you're only, uh, paying like long-term, uh, capital gains tax. So your tax exposure is less. So there was like that kind of, uh, the deal structure was very favorable towards us and the due diligence that he was requiring was, um, wasn't that much. And overall, just kind of everything was pushing towards, you know, why, why don't we sell? Um, and I agree that, you know, we probably could have done it for a few more years and probably had like a bigger exit. Um, certainly there's like opportunity costs with, with doing that. 
Um, but you know, I think uh, just for all the things I mentioned, it, it just kind of made sense for us to to sell. Nice. And then, do you remember that moment? How it felt? Um, you know, after that exit, how was that? You know, you, so you guys haven't been paying yourself for a while, and I have all this cash. Uh, how how's that impacted your life uh, in day to day? Yeah, it was weird. I mean, um, you know, we sold it for. You know, you mentioned like seven figures. Obviously, that's a large range between like one million and like nine, <laughs> nine million <laughs> nine plus. Um, and there's a big difference, obviously, between those two numbers. Um, and so I can say, you know, we, we sold it for a good amount. It wasn't like, hey, I never need to work again. But it was also, but it was, hey, I'm not in a rush to to need to do something right away. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was obviously a good place. It was a good place to kind of feel like you have some financial stability, and in you know, you can kind of uh, go create to an extent, the life that you want. And like I said, get the apartment, get married and, and stuff like that. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there was this element of like my identity had been uh, attached to Ninja Outreach for so many years. And even now, like I'm on this podcast, like because of that, right? Like it's, uh, it's not because of shortlist or something like that. So there's still a lot of identity that's uh, connected to, to that tool and the team. I mean, it's not like when you... When you sell the business, I mean, you sell everything, right? Like uh, the yeah. team stayed on um, and, and I was no longer working with them and no longer played a role. Um, and whatever the newsletter was and the audience that it had and the traffic that the website had and all that stuff, basically, obviously, the, the new buyer retains. And so, you, you, you know, I mean, you virtually kind of have nothing um, unless you had been like building something up on the side, which I hadn't. Um, so all of a sudden, like day one, you're just like, oh, man, like... I don't have an income. I don't have uh, like I don't have an audience. I don't. I don't really have anything to kind of work on right now. Um, mm. So I mean, that's like a little bit scary. I mean, again, I don't want to uh, overstate how scary that is because yeah, you have money in the bank and, and you're you're doing totally fine. But to an extent, it's like uh, you know, it is something to be thought about, like that exit plan, like that post post exit plan. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then from there, so you have some cash in the account, you're kind of deciding what you want to do, what's next. Uh, I believe you then became the CEO of Lestern.io. Is that a, a CRO software? Um, what was the story behind that? And what is it? I see it's no longer active. Yeah. So I had um, basically bought Lestern from uh, mm-hmm. the guys at a uh, account like a coming wise or something. I forget. I forget the name. Um, <laughs> anyway, I bought it from some guys. Um, for not that much. I mean, well, it would seem like a lot of the time it was like $10,000 or so, but I mean, the scope of like things is just not like that, that much. Yeah. Um, and we have been using it at Ninja Outreach. It was kind of like a churn reduction tool. It was like a neat little tool. Um, and we had been using it at Ninja Outreach and it seemed like we were maybe their only customer. Uh, they weren't really like actively developing it. And it seemed like they had built it and launched it and they got some traction and they moved on to other things. So okay. I offered to buy it um, with the idea that maybe one day when I left Ninja Outreach, like I would go work on this. Um, and that's kind of more or less what happened. Uh, after I sold Ninja Outreach, um, I guess, okay, well, I guess I'll go work on like Lester now. Like, here we go again. Let's do it all over again. Like open up the playbook for Ninja Outreach and do a lot of content marketing and SEO and all the, all that stuff. Um, but uh, stuff had changed. I mean, it was it was 2018. We had started Ninja Outreach in 2014. Four years had passed. I'd say the market had become like even more crowded. Uh, my individual motivation for doing the things that I did back in 2014 was a lot lower. I just didn't really want to write eight guest posts a day or whatever it was that I was doing when I was doing Ninja Outreach to generate traffic. Um, right. And so I wanted to hire you know people, and and I I could because I had some money from the sale. Um, but I also wanted to be careful about not just blowing through the entire sale 
um, you know, on this new business. Um, so I had to be a little bit uh, cognizant of like, you know, what I was spending and stuff like that. And, you know, so I hired some developers and we started kind of building out the product. And I had negotiated a deal with AppSumo actually, uh, which I was really kind of happy about to launch it to their audience. Um, and so everything was kind of going reasonably well. And then the AppSumo launch didn't go well uh, because hmm. it wasn't really a fit for their audience. Their audience is not really like a lot of software entrepreneurs and the tool was very niche. Yeah. Um, and, you know, essentially they, they like agreed to do a deal with me, I think largely just because, you know, I had done Ninja Arch with them and not that they yeah. owed me or anything, but just like, I was a personal contact and they were kind of like doing me a solid. Um, and so that, that really didn't go well. And I was talking with more people in the market and just learning that there was a lot more complexities than I originally appreciated, mm. um, with the tool and kind of how people handle term reduction in their software and the payment processors that they use and how different all the payment processes are. And just kind of like, I could see that this was going to be uh, really difficult actually. And so I kind of moonlighted it. Um, I, I, I essentially shopped it around. Um, okay. I approached uh, a couple of different people um, and I got traction with Patrick from ProfitWell. Um, mm-hmm. And he said he would buy it basically mm-hmm. from me. Um, cool. And in exchange, they gave me like a small amount of, of kind of like advisor level equity uh, into the company, uh, which I think was like very generous on their part because the tool, you know, it hadn't really had any traction or like I had to develop it and stuff like that. But but basically, um, you know, there was they weren't I, they weren't necessarily getting like a lot in my opinion. Sure. sure. Um, and so you know that's kind of what happened with with, with Lester, and I'm not exactly sure on the state that status of it now and kind of like what they've done with it. Mm. Um, but simultaneously, you know, with last churn, I started um, offering some marketing services, doing a bit of consulting. Um, and that eventually, you know, became shortlist that became a digital marketing agency. Cool. Yeah, we've had uh, Patrick on, on our podcast as well. Uh, but yeah, I can see why th- that tool could be attractive for them as a lead gen kind of, or even as a content tool play um, to attract leads and, and, and because they speak a lot about churn, right? That's kind of their, their big, the big, uh, speaking point. Yeah. That's, that's a smart actually acquisition from their side. Um, so not, now you're the, the CEO of shortlist.io, which is an outsourced marketing done for you agency, you know, very competitive space in the market. Um, what would you say makes it kind of different from some of the competition? You know, what are your, your main strengths over, over like other growth marketing agencies? There's a lot of different agencies out there. So, um, it's kind of impossible to say you're different from all of them because there's, they're all, they're all out there and they all do different things. And, you know, I, I think that there is a reputation among some, some agencies of offering like very standard services, kind of one size fits all approaches, kind of get you on a monthly contract, especially yeah. in certain niches. Maybe like, I see this a lot in like dental and lawyers and stuff like that, where I, I think agencies, I hate to say like take advantage of those customers, but to an extent, I mean, I do feel that that is like the case where they kind of put them on these these SEO subscription plans where they they pay a monthly fee and they don't really get that much. Um, and yeah. they kind of they optimize their metadata every month and things that don't actually need to be done. Um, and so we, you know, our our goal is to be uh, more custom and you know to uh, you know with each client really understand, you know, what is the marketing strategy that they need and then to help them kind of implement it. Um, so I would say that's kind of the, uh, the, 
the, the, the area where we're a little different from some agencies. But I, I'm sure there are other agencies who are doing similar things. I'm not saying that nobody offers like custom services in the agency space. Sure. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious because we, we mainly hear the opposite story, right? From agency owners. Typically, after some time of running their marketing agency, they either hit a plateau or they burn out or they just want to move on to something else from you know, managing all those clients. And then they go and build a SaaS business instead. Where What made you decide to go the other way rather than building another SaaS business you went the agency route? Well, I did kind of try to build another SaaS business like with less churn and it just didn't work out, <laughs> to, okay. to be honest. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I was kind of doing two things at once. Um, I was doing the services and the SaaS thing. Um, and, you know, one one essentially t- took off and the, and the other didn't. And, and here I am. That's kind of the easiest way mm. to explain it. Um, you know, services business is pretty easy to start. I mean, um, yeah. it doesn't really cost much money at all. You, you know, you put up a website and you say, Hey, I'm offering the service and you find some buyers and, um, and, you know, a digital marketing agency, uh, is, uh, a very proven business model that pretty much, yeah, it's, it's crowded and it's competitive, but at the same time, it's kind of tried and tested, right? Like less right. churn was the sort of innovative moonshot, you know, maybe this will work, maybe this won't. And it didn't. Uh, whereas the business model of uh, of shortlist is kind of like, hey, this has been done before and it'll be done a million times again. And there's kind of always room for somebody to sort of do it as long as you know what you're doing and you're, you can offer like a quality service. Um, sure. So, you know, I mean, I, I would like to to pursue software again. Um, you know, sort of the idea, once I started to get comfortable with the agency and feeling like, okay, this is my business now and, and this is where my focus is, I've sort of created the vision that that the agency will serve as an umbrella for other products and things like that, that it will become kind of profitable and we'll be able to take portions of that profit and uh, develop um, other things. And actually, as an agency, we did um, try to develop another software. It was also like in the marketing tech space. Um, and that one also didn't really get much traction. Um, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, it doesn't matter if you've had one success uh, with software. It doesn't mean you can just do it whenever you want. Like it's, exactly. it's hard, you know, it's hard and it, it, and it's gotten, I think, exponentially more difficult like to do something like that in 2020 or 2019. It's just, it's just so crowded, especially in marketing tech, which is a lot of what I've, I've been doing. And so mm. um, I, I'm kind of passively looking at, you know, I'd love to start a software business in a space that wasn't in marketing, um, mm. because I think that there's more opportunity there. Um, but, you know, I haven't found the thing yet. So for now, I just kind of continue with the agency. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so when you guys first started uh, Ninja Outreach, you mentioned you're doing a lot of outreach. So, I mean, that's part of what you did to get your first few clients. And then your marketing uh, plan went towards more content. What are you guys doing right now for marketing? And how are you allocating you know, your time and your budget to grow traffic and generate leads for for shortlist, maybe you can say what's what has worked and what hasn't. Maybe share some some ideas there. Yeah, I mean, ironically, we haven't done a lot of inbound marketing for shortlist, which is odd for two reasons. Number one, because it's sort of how I grew a lot of my businesses before, like Ninja Reach, and then also number two, because we're an inbound marketing agency, and it's odd that you would kind of offer a service that you don't use for yourself. Right. Um, and so, you know, I don't actually have a, a huge comment <laughs> about why why we're not doing that, other than. <laughs> It takes a while and we're just sort of looking to, you know, develop leads more quickly. So, I mean, what has worked for us is, you know, outreach and networking. Those are basically the two, the two that have kind of worked. Um, mm-hmm. You know, net- networking is 
is perfect um, if you are somebody who is a good networker. Um, and my partner, David Hensel, uh, is, is quite good at making connections. He likes to go to conferences and, and meet entrepreneurs. And he's very good about, you know, listening to the person and understanding whether or not, it, you know, it makes sense to maybe pitch our services or things like that. And so um, that handoff, that personal introduction is like so clutch in a services-based business because it's really all about relationships. Um, when you ask about like, you know, why should someone go shortlist over some other agency? It's just largely about oh, well, uh, this guy I know and I trust him, he referred you guys. So, you know, you must be good. And it's, that's really what it comes down to. Um, mm-hmm. Software is totally different. It's not exactly relationship-based. People can just sign up and try the tool and see if they like it. And they can compare mm-hmm. it to a bunch of other tools. Um, so networking in, in the small business software uh, space, I don't think plays as big of a role, but it does play a pretty big role in services. Um, and then email outreach, um, I think when just about, I mean, well, in many businesses, is kind of always on the table, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's not a, a high percentage hit rate. Uh, and, uh, it's not like, yeah, the, the most fun way to do marketing. Um, but it, you know, it does work, you know, if you get, the, if you have the right target audience and you have the right pitch, like you're going to get some people that are going to be interested and, you know, and you'll go from there. Nice. So outreach and networking. So we do have some of our people in our, our audience who have run agencies and the, uh, our marketers as well. So I'm sure that that applies for there, but, um, I'm sure you guys also work with software companies as well. What would you say, you know, what marketing channels have showed the best ROI from any of the marketing experiments maybe you've tried, whether it's, you know, SEO, PPC, affiliate marketing. Um, You mentioned like AppSumo as one, product hunt launches. Um, What would you focus on if you're still running a SaaS? Yeah, I mean, it it depends on the size uh, of the business. I think that the strategy evolves, you know, based on the size of the business. And, you know, and the, you know, Ninja Arch being a perfect example, like very, very early days was all about outreach because you got to get feedback now. You got to get people interested. You got to get, you know, uh, market uh, research done. And then you kind of move to content and SEO as being a longer term play to kind of develop a more uh, consistent kind of strategy. But then, you know, once we hit, and I, uh, like say $10,000 or something like that a month. Um, I think, yeah, I think I, I mentioned this, but it really becomes about business opti- optimization, uh, split mm. testing, the website, the homepage, the pricing, trying different pricing models. Um, obviously the tool, you know, onboarding, term reduction. Those are the things that kind of play a bigger role, um, you know, early, uh, later on. Um, and that's why I, I, I find it's like a lot easier to work with a business that already is like established, it was a lot harder to basically get to 10K a month than it was probably to get to 20 or 30 or 40 or 50K or something like that. Um, just because that first 10K is, is a real grind. And then after that, you're kind of like working, you know, much more within your yourself just to kind of optimize. That's, that makes sense. Um, so now you guys are about what, 20, 20 team members with shortlists. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you guys are facing in, in order to continue to grow? I think agencies generally have a reputation of, of difficulty scaling. Um, yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, it's just sort of a little unfair uh, to say as of now. I mean, so we did something like 800K or so this year. So we're not nice. like a multi thank you. But, you know, we're not like a multi-multi-million dollar agency. And so, you know, we're not at, we're not necessarily at a point where I can say like, oh man, like agencies can't scale. I mean, people have obviously built like Five, mm-hmm. ten, hundred million dollar agencies, like it can be done, um, right. but it is, you know, it is tricky. Um, I just think that, you know, when you're trying to offer a custom service, basically, like I described, um, 
that doesn't exactly lend itself to scaling. Like scaling is when you kind of have like a one size fits all solution. You kind of give it to everybody, but that's mm. kind of the antithesis of what we're trying to do. So um, I think that's a little bit of a challenge. You know, I mean, customer acquisition, you know, is, is, is hard no matter what you're doing, probably with any business. Um, networking right. has become difficult this year because of like everything with COVID and stuff. A lot of conferences have been canceled. So that's taking a little bit of wind out of those sales. Um, and then, you know, I mean, you know, email outreach and stuff, there's just obviously a lot of noise out there and there kind of continues to be. So, um, yeah, I, I think that there are, there are challenges and there are challenges with, you know, branding yourself and trying to be different in a space that's like, like super crowded and, you know, should you just kind of like admit that, you know, yeah, you're, you're kind of like everybody else, but there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, like you provide these services like many other people do and you provide good services and hopefully they do. And the reason for someone to work with you is just because, you know, like, yeah, they have a personal connection or they like your style or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. It comes down to trust, right? Um, yeah, it's, like I said, it's very relationship-based, very, very uh, trust-based. As long as you can prove that you're competent, I'm sure that you can kind of move forward to that. Um, who, who or what would you say have been, you know, three of the best resources and or people? So that could be books, mentors, or influencers you follow. Who would you say have been instrumental to your success over these last few years? Um, that's really tricky because when I was starting Ninja Outreach, um, I was, uh, I was like... Um, I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm, I'm missing the word. I was uh, devouring, I guess, information about SaaS and uh, trying to understand that business model and, and growth tax and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so at that point, I was kind of like reading, reading like everybody uh, in, in related spaces. Um, and yeah, I mean, I learned a lot from like, you know, Patrick and Press Intelligently and Proper Well and kind of looking at what they're doing. Um, and, but then I think more lately, uh, mm-hmm. to be honest, there isn't any one particular person uh, that I've been focusing on in terms of like, oh, I, I read this person's blog posts or I listen to their podcast a lot. I actually don't consume so much information these days um, for various reasons. I've just been on kind of like a low information diet. Um, I, you know, I've certainly learned a lot from working with my partners uh, because they offer different styles. I mean, Mark and Ninja Rich was like very personable and uh, just, I think his ability to kind of like relate with people quickly was something I, you know, I admired and tried to try to learn from. And David is kind of the same way in shortlist, you know, he's, he's a good connector. He's a good networker. Um, so it's probably no surprise that uh, in the sort of the two businesses that I've had the most success with um, it comes with a partner who compliments mm-hmm. maybe like a weakness in myself. Is there, is there a favorite book maybe you've read this last year that you'd recommend? Or are you nope. also... Old enough on books too. Yeah, no books for about. Okay, I have a book no. I'm in the middle of reading now, but I, uh, it's called Apocalypse Now, and it's all about like environmental sustainability. Uh, but mm. I'm basically only on like chapter one. I struggle to read. I'll, I'll be totally honest. Okay, just, I fair just, enough. Like, str- yeah, struggle to read books. No, fair <laughs> enough. Cool. So I mean, uh, you know, 30 years old, you had your exit. You've kind of you know got all the dreams that you you hope to achieve. <laughs> working on it, you know, at least at the time that was what you had in mind. And then now, you know. Um, working on kind of a business you're, you're enjoying and you're growing healthily. Um, what does success mean to you today? Whether that's personally, financially, uh, business, personal, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think of success as, um, it's, it's impact, you know, mm. I guess there's, I guess there's different, there's different types of success, right? There's personal success and maybe there's professional success. Uh, so personal success for me, it's really about kind of like the family and like my wife and my kid and, 
you know, the, the quality of life that we live and the stuff that, that we do. And sort of, you know, largely a lot of that uh, at the center of that is, is freedom, basically. And kind of, mm-hmm. you know, that running these businesses has kind of allowed me and us to work from all over the world and travel and take a day off and do X, Y, Z if we want. And so that's that's really personal success is kind of maintaining that lifestyle. That's what's really mm-hmm. the most important to me. And I, I have been... I am and have been always very willing to sacrifice money to, to make sure that I kind of have that freedom. Um, and in a professional sense, I think it's largely about, it's about impact. Um, it's kind of about making the world a, a better place, about having uh, a team, uh, employees that are happy and like the work that they do and clients who are kind of happy and stuff like that. Cool. I like that. So Dave, um, you know, thanks for joining us. Uh, where, where can our audience get in touch with you, learn more about uh, what you're working on and what are your future plans for Shortlist? Yeah. So um, obviously if they want to learn more, shortlist.io, not.com. And my email is dave at shortlist.io if they want to check out more. Um, And then, you know, uh, I think that uh, next year we're not um, looking to do anything totally new per se, I would just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to move towards that vision of Shortlist being this umbrella brand and, and having some other products and things like that. I have a book that I wrote, actually, I guess I, I probably should like talk about it or something, but um, it's really small. It's only like 15,000 words or something you could read in one to two hours. And it's, it's sort of my uh, learnings of running remote teams and, and, and that type of thing. Uh, it's called Hands Off. And so I'm looking to kind of put that out there at some point too. Cool. Uh, we'll put a link to that show notes in our show notes for that as well. Thank you so Thank much, you. Dave. I appreciate you jumping on today. Thanks for having me, Akil. All right. Cheers. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.